Section One of Louis Lambert by Honoré de Balzac, translated by Clara Bell and James Waring. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. Louis Lambert by Honoré de Balzac section one dedication et nunc et semper dilectoe dicatum louis lambert was born at montoire a little town in the vendemois where his father owned a tannery of no great magnitude and intended that his son should succeed him but his precocious bent for study modified the paternal decision for indeed the tanner and his wife adored louis their only child and never contradicted him in anything at the age of five louis had begun by reading the old and new testaments and these two books including so many books had sealed his fate could that childish imagination understand the mystical depths of the scriptures could it so early follow the flight of the holy spirit across the worlds or was it merely attracted by the romantic touches which abound in those oriental poems our narrative will answer these questions to some readers one thing resulted from this first reading of the bible louis went all over montoire begging for books and he obtained them by those winning ways peculiar to children which no one can resist while devoting himself to these studies under no sort of guidance he reached the age of ten at that period substitutes for the army were scarce rich families secured them long beforehand to have them ready when the lots were drawn the poor tanners modest fortune did not allow of their purchasing a substitute for their son and they saw no means allowed by law for evading the conscription but that of making him a priest so in eighteen o seven they sent him to his maternal uncle the parish priest of mer another small town in the loire not far from blois this arrangement at once satisfied louis's passion for knowledge and his parents wished not to expose him to the dreadful chances of war and indeed his taste for study and precocious intelligence gave grounds for hoping that he might rise to high fortunes in the church after remaining for about three years with his uncle an old and not uncultured oratorian louis left him early in eighteen eleven to enter the college at vendome where he was maintained at the cost of madame de stael lambert owed the favour and patronage of this celebrated lady to chance or shall we not say to providence who can smooth the path of forlorn genius to us indeed who do not see below the surface of human things such vicissitudes of which we find many examples in the lives of great men appear to be merely the result of physical phenomena to most biographers the head of a man of genius rises above the herd as some noble plant in the fields attracts the eye of a botanist in its splendour this comparison may well be applied to louis lambert's adventure he was accustomed to spend the time allowed him by his uncle for holidays at his father's house but instead of indulging after the manner of schoolboys in the sweets of the delightful farnente that tempts us at every age he set out every morning with part of a loaf and his books and went to read and meditate in the woods to escape his mother's remonstrances for she believed such persistent study to be injurious 
how admirable is a mother's instinct from that time reading was in louis a sort of appetite which nothing could satisfy he devoured books of every kind feeding indiscriminately on religious works history philosophy and physics he has told me that he found indescribable delight in reading dictionaries for lack of other books and i readily believed him what scholar has not many a time found pleasure in seeking the probable meaning of some unknown word the analysis of a word its physiognomy and history would be to lambert matter for long dreaming but these were not the instinctive dreams by which a boy accustoms himself to the phenomena of life steals himself to every moral or physical perception an involuntary education which subsequently brings forth fruit both in the understanding and character of a man no louis mastered the facts and he accounted for them after seeking out both the principle and the end with the mother wit of a savage indeed from the age of fourteen by one of those startling freaks in which nature sometimes indulges and which proved how anomalous was his temperament he would utter quite simply ideas of which the depth was not revealed to me till a long time after often he has said to me when speaking of his studies often i have made the most delightful voyage floating on a word down the abyss of the past like an insect embarked on a blade of grass tossing on the ripples of a stream starting from greece i would get to rome and traverse the whole extent of modern ages what a fine book might be written of the life and adventures of a word it has of course received various stamps from the occasions on which it has served its purpose it has conveyed different ideas in different places but is it not still grander to think of it under the three aspects of soul body and motion merely to regard it in the abstract apart from its functions its effects and its influence is enough to cast one into an ocean of meditations are not most words colored by the idea they represent then to whose genius are they due if it takes great intelligence to create a word how old may human speech be the combination of letters their shapes and the looks they give to the word are the exact reflection in accordance with the character of each nation of the unknown beings whose traces survive in us who can philosophically explain the transition from sensation to thought from thought to word from the word to its hieroglyphic presentment from hieroglyphics to the alphabet from the alphabet to written language of which the eloquent beauty resides in a series of images classified by rhetoric and forming in a sense the hieroglyphics of thought was it not the ancient mode of representing human ideas as embodied in the forms of animals that gave rise to the shapes of the first signs used in the east for writing down language then has it not left its traces by tradition on our modern languages which have all seized some remnant of the primitive speech of nations a majestic and solemn tongue whose grandeur and solemnity decrease as communities grow old whose sonorous tones ring in the hebrew bible and still are noble in greece but grow weaker under the progress of successive phases of civilization is it to this time-honored spirit that we owe the mysteries lying buried in every human word in the word true do we not discern a certain imaginary rectitude does not the compact brevity of its sound suggest a vague image of chaste nudity and the simplicity of truth in all things the syllable seems to me singularly crisp and fresh i choose the formula of an abstract idea on purpose not wishing to illustrate the case by a word which should make it too obvious to the apprehension as the word flight for instance which is a direct appeal to the senses 
but is it not so with every root word they are all stamped with a living power that comes from the soul and which they restore to the soul through the mysterious and wonderful action and reaction between thought and speech might we not speak of it as a lover who finds in his mistress lips as much love as he gives thus by their mere physiognomy words call to life in our brain the beings which they serve to clothe like all beings there is but one place where their properties are at full liberty to act and develop but the subject demands a science to itself perhaps and he would shrug his shoulders as much as to say but we are too high and too low louis's passion for reading had on the whole been very well satisfied the curie of mer had two or three thousand volumes this treasure had been derived from the plunder committed during the revolution on the neighboring chateaux and abbeys as a priest who would have taken the oath the worthy man had been able to choose the best books from among these precious libraries which were sold by the pound in three years louis lambert had assimilated the contents of all the books in his uncle's library that were worth reading the process of absorbing ideas by means of reading had become in him a very strange phenomenon his eye took in six or seven lines at once and his mind grasped the sense with a swiftness as remarkable as that of his eye sometimes even one word in a sentence was enough to enable him to seize the gist of the matter his memory was prodigious he remembered with equal exactitude the ideas he had derived from reading and those which had occurred to him in the course of meditation or conversation indeed he had every form of memory for places for names for words things and faces he not only recalled any object at will but he saw them in his mind situated lighted and colored as he had originally seen them and this power he could exert with equal effect with regard to the most abstract efforts of the intellect he could remember as he said not merely the position of a sentence in the book where he had met with it but the frame of mind he had been in at remote dates thus his was the singular privilege of being able to retrace in memory the whole life and progress of his mind from the ideas he had first acquired to the last thought evolved in it from the most obscure to the clearest his brain accustomed in early youth to the mysterious mechanism by which human faculties are concentrated drew from this rich treasury endless images full of life and freshness on which he fed his spirit during those lucid spells of contemplation whenever i wish it said he to me in his own language to which a fund of remembrance gave precocious originality i can draw a veil over my eyes then i suddenly see within me a camera obscura where natural objects are reproduced in purer forms than those under which they first appeared to my external sense at the age of twelve his imagination stimulated by the perpetual exercise of his faculties had developed to a point which permitted him to have such precise concepts of things which he knew only from reading about them that the image stamped on his mind could not have been clearer if he had actually seen them whether this was by a process of analogy or that he was gifted with a sort of second sight by which he could command all nature when i read the story of the battle of austerlitz he said to me one day i saw every incident the roar of the cannon the cries of the fighting men rang in my ears and made my inmost self quiver i could smell the powder i heard the clatter of horses and the voices of men i looked down on the plain where armed nations were in collision just as if i had been on the heights of santon the scene was as terrifying as a passage from the apocalypse 
on the occasions when he brought all his powers into play and in some degree lost consciousness of his physical existence and lived on only by the remarkable energy of his mental powers whose sphere was enormously expanded he left space behind him to use his own words but i will not here anticipate the intellectual phases of his life already in spite of myself i have reversed the order in which i ought to tell the story of this man who transferred all his activities to thinking as others throw all their life into action a strong bias drew his mind into mystical studies abyssus abyssum he would say our spirit is abysmal and loves the abyss in childhood manhood and old age we are always eager for mysteries in whatever form they present themselves this predilection was disastrous if indeed his life can be measured by ordinary standards or if we may gauge another's happiness by our own or by social notions this taste for the things of heaven another phrase he was fond of using this mens divinior was due perhaps to the influence produced on his mind by the first books he read at his uncle's saint teresa and madame guillon were a sequel to the bible they had the first-fruits of his manly intelligence and accustomed him to those swift reactions of the soul of which ecstasy is at once the result and the means this line of study this peculiar taste elevated his heart purified ennobled it gave him an appetite for the divine nature and suggested to him the almost womanly refinement of feeling which is instinctive in great men perhaps their sublime superiority is no more than the desire to devote themselves which characterizes woman only transferred to the greatest things as a result of these early impressions louis passed immaculate through his school life this beautiful virginity of the senses naturally resulted in the richer fervor of his blood and in increased faculties of mind the baroness de stael forbidden to come within forty leagues of paris spent several months of her banishment on an estate near vendome one day when out walking she met on the skirts of the park the tanner's son almost in rags and absorbed in reading the book was a translation of heaven and hell at that time monsieur saint martin monsieur de Gens, and a few other french or half german writers were almost the only persons in the french empire to whom the name of swedenborg was known madame de stael greatly surprised took the book from him with the roughness she affected in her questions looks and manners and with a keen glance at lambert do you understand all this she asked do you pray to god said the child why yes and do you understand him the baroness was silent for a moment then she sat down by lambert and began to talk to him unfortunately my memory though retentive is far from being so trustworthy as my friends and i have forgotten the whole of the dialogue excepting those first words such a meeting was of a kind to strike madame de stael very greatly on her return home she said but little about it notwithstanding an effusiveness which in her became mere loquacity but it evidently occupied her thoughts the only person now living who preserves any recollection of the incident and whom i catechized to be informed of what few words madame de stael had let drop could with difficulty recall these words spoken by the baroness as describing lambert he is a real seer louis failed to justify in the eyes of the world the high hopes he had inspired in his protectress the transient favor she showed him was regarded as a feminine caprice one of the fancies characteristic of artist souls 
Madame de Stael determined to save Louis Lambert alike from serving the Emperor or the Church, and to preserve him for the glorious destiny which, she thought, awaited him. For she made him out to be a second Moses snatched from the waters. Before her departure she instructed a friend of hers, Monsieur de Corbigny, to send her Moses in due course to the high school at Vendôme. Then she probably forgot him. Having entered this college at the age of fourteen, early in 1811, Lambert would leave it at the end of 1814, when he had finished the course of philosophy. I doubt whether during the whole time he ever heard a word of his benefactress. If indeed it was the act of a benefactress to pay for a lad's schooling for three years without a thought of his future prospects, after diverting him from a career in which he might have found happiness, the circumstances of the time, and Louis Lambert's character, may to a great extent absolve madame de stael for her thoughtlessness and her generosity the gentleman who was to have kept up communications between her and the boy left blois just at the time when louis passed out of the college the political events that ensued were then a sufficient excuse for this gentleman's neglect of the baroness protege the authoress of corinne heard no more of her little moses a hundred louis which she placed in the hands of monsieur de corbigny who died, I believe, in 1812, was not a sufficiently large sum to leave lasting memories in Madame de Stael, whose excitable nature found ample pasture during the vicissitudes of 1814 and 1815, which absorbed all her interest. At this time Louis Lambert was at once too proud and too poor to go in search of a patroness who was travelling all over Europe. However, he went on foot from Blois to Paris, in the hope of seeing her, and arrived unluckily on the very day of her death. Two letters from Lambert to the Baroness remained unanswered. The memory of Madame de Stael's good intentions with regard to Louis remains, therefore, only in some few young minds, struck as mine was by the strangeness of the story. No one who had not gone through the training at our college could understand the effect usually made on our minds by the announcement that a new boy had arrived, or the impression that such an adventure as Louis Lambert's was calculated to produce and here a little information must be given as to the primitive administration of this institution originally half military and half monastic to explain the new life which there awaited lambert before the revolution the oratorians devoted like the society of jesus to the education of youth succeeding the jesuits in fact in certain of their establishments the colleges of vendome of tournon of la fleche pont levoy serres and julie that at vendome like the others i believe turned out a certain number of cadets for the army the abolition of educational bodies decreed by the convention had but little effect on the college at vendome when the first crisis had blown over the authorities recovered possession of their buildings certain oratorians scattered about the country came back to the college and reopened it under the old rules with the habits practices and customs which gave this school a character with which i have seen nothing at all comparable in any that i have visited since i left that establishment standing in the heart of the town on the little river loire which flows under its walls the college possesses extensive precincts carefully enclosed by walls and including all the buildings necessary for an institution on that scale a chapel a theatre an infirmary a bakehouse gardens and water supply this college is the most celebrated home of learning in all the central provinces and receives pupils from them and from the colonies distance prohibits any frequent visits from parents to their children 
the rule of the house forbids holidays away from it once entered there a pupil never leaves till his studies are finished with the exception of walks taken under the guidance of the fathers everything is calculated to give the school the benefit of conventual discipline in my day the taz was still a living memory and the classical leather strap played its terrible part with all the honors the punishment originally invented by the society of jesus as alarming to the moral as to the physical man was still in force in all the integrity of the original code letters to our parents were obligatory on certain days so was confession thus our sins and our sentiments were all according to pattern everything bore the stamp of monastic rule i well remember among other relics of the ancient order the inspection we went through every sunday we were all in our best placed in file like soldiers to await the arrival of the two inspectors who attended by the tutors and the tradesmen examined us from the three points of view of dress health and morals the two or three hundred pupils lodged in the establishment were divided according to ancient custom into the minimes the smallest the little boys the middle boys and the big boys the division of the minimes included the eighth and seventh classes the little boys formed the sixth fifth and fourth the middle boys were classed as third and second and the first class comprised the senior students of philosophy rhetoric the higher mathematics and chemistry each of these divisions had its own building classrooms and playground in the large common precincts onto which the classrooms opened and beyond which was the refectory this dining hall worthy of an ancient religious order accommodated all the school contrary to the usual practice in educational institutions we were allowed to talk at our meals a tolerant oratorian rule which enabled us to exchange plates according to our taste this gastronomical barter was always one of the chief pleasures of our college life if one of the middle boys at the head of his table wished for a helping of lentils instead of dessert for we had dessert the offer was passed down from one to the other dessert for lentils until some other epicure had accepted then the plate of lentils was passed up to the bidder from hand to hand and the plate of dessert returned by the same road mistakes were never made if several identical offers were made they were taken in order and the formula would be lentils number one for dessert number one the tables were very long our incessant barter kept everything moving we transacted it with amazing eagerness and the chatter of three hundred lads the bustling to and fro of the servants employed in changing the plates setting down the dishes handing the bread with the tours of inspection of the masters made this refectory at vendome a scene unique in its way and the amazement of visitors to make our life more tolerable deprived as we were of all communication with the outer world and of family affection we were allowed to keep pigeons and to have gardens our two or three hundred pigeon houses with a thousand birds nesting all round the outer wall and above thirty garden plots were a sight even stranger than our meals but a full account of the peculiarities which made the college at vendome a place unique in itself and fertile in reminiscences to those who spent their boyhood there would be weariness to the reader which of us all but remembers with delight notwithstanding the bitterness of learning the eccentric pleasures of that cloistered life the sweetmeats purchased by stealth in the course of our walks permission obtained to play cards and devise theatrical performances during the holidays such tricks and freedom as were necessitated by our seclusion 
then again our military band a relic of the cadets our academy our chaplain our father professors and all our games permitted or prohibited as the case might be the cavalry charges on stilts the long slides made in winter the clatter of our clogs and above all the trading transactions with the shop set up in the courtyard itself this shop was kept by a sort of cheap jack of whom big and little boys could procure according to his prospectus boxes stilts tools jacobin pigeons and nuns mass books an article in small demand pen-knives paper pens pencils ink of all colors balls and marbles in short the whole catalogue of the most treasured possessions of boys including everything from sauce for the pigeons we were obliged to kill off to the earthenware pots in which we set aside the rice from supper to be eaten at next morning's breakfast which of us was so unhappy as to have forgotten how his heart beat at the sight of this booth open periodically during play hours on sundays to which we went each in his turn to spend his little pocket money while the smallness of the sum allowed by our parents for these minor pleasures required us to make a choice among all the objects that appealed so strongly to our desires did ever a young wife to whom her husband during the first days of happiness hands twelve times a year a purse of gold the budget of her personal fancies dream of so many different purchases each which would absorb the whole sum as we imagined possible on the eve of the first sunday in each month for six francs during one night we owned every delight of that inexhaustible shop and during mass every response we chanted was mixed up in our minds with our secret calculations which of us all can recollect ever having had a sou left to spend on the sunday following and which of us but obeyed the instinctive law of social existence by pitying helping and despising those pariahs who by the avarice or poverty of their parents found themselves penniless any one who forms a clear idea of this huge college with its monastic buildings in the heart of a little town and the four plots in which we were distributed as by a monastic rule will easily conceive of the excitement that we felt at the arrival of a new boy a passenger suddenly embarked on the ship no young duchess on her first appearance at court was ever more spitefully criticized than the new boy by the youths in his division usually during the evening play-hour before prayers those sycophants who were accustomed to ingratiate themselves with the fathers who took it in turns two and two for a week to keep an eye on us would be the first to hear on trustworthy authority there will be a new boy to-morrow and then suddenly the shout a new boy a new boy rang through the courts we hurried up to crowd round the superintendent and pester him with questions where was he coming from what was his name which class would he be in and so forth louis lambert's advent was the subject of a romance worthy of the arabian nights i was in the fourth class at the time among the little boys our housemasters were two men whom we called fathers from habit and tradition though they were not priests in my time there were indeed but three genuine oratorians to whom this title legitimately belonged in eighteen fourteen they all left the college which had gradually become secularized to find occupation about the altar in various country parishes like the cure of mer father Hagolt, the master for the week was not a bad man but of very moderate attainments and he lacked the tact which is indispensable for discerning the different characters of children and graduating their punishment to their powers of resistance 
Father Halgolt, then, began very obligingly to communicate to his pupils the wonderful events which were to end on the morrow in the advent of the most singular of new boys. Games were at an end. All the children came round in silence to hear the story of Louis Lambert, discovered like an aerolite by Madame de Stael in a corner of the wood. Monsieur Hagolt had to tell us all about Madame de Stael. That evening she seemed to me ten feet high. I saw at a later time the picture of Corinne, in which Gerard presents her as so tall and handsome, and, alas, the woman painted by my imagination so far transcended this that the real Madame de Stael fell at once in my estimation, even after I read her book of really masculine power, De Allemagne. But Lambert at the time was an even greater wonder. Monsieur Marechal, the headmaster, after examining him, had thought of placing him among the senior boys. It was Louis's ignorance of Latin that placed him so low as the fourth class, but he would certainly leap up a class every year, and as a remarkable exception he was to be one of the Academy, Pro Pudor. We were to have the honor of counting among the little boys one whose coat was adorned with the red ribbon displayed by the academicians of Vendôme. These academicians enjoyed distinguished privileges. They often dined at the director's table, and held two literary meetings annually, at which we were all present to hear their elucubrations. An academician was a great man in embryo, and if every Vendome scholar would speak the truth, he would confess that, in later life, an academician of the great French Academy seemed to him far less remarkable than the stupendous boy who wore the cross and the imposing red ribbon which were the insignia of our Academy. It was very unusual to be one of that illustrious body before attaining to the second class, for the academicians were expected to hold public meetings every Thursday during the holidays, and to read tales in verse or prose, epistles, essays, tragedies, dramas, compositions far above the intelligence of the lower classes. I long treasured the memory of a story called The Green Ass, which was, I think, the masterpiece of this unknown society. In the fourth, and an academician, this boy of fourteen, a poet already, the protégé of Madame de Stael, a coming genius, said Father Hagolt, was to be one of us, a wizard, a youth capable of writing a composition or a translation while we were being called into lessons, and of learning his lessons by reading them through but once. Louis Lambert bewildered all our ideas, and Father Hagolt's curiosity and impatience to see this new boy added fuel to our excited fancy. If he has pigeons, he can have no pigeon-house. There is not room for another. Well, it cannot be helped, said one boy, since famous as an agriculturist. Who will sit next to him, said another. Oh, I wish I might be his chum, cried an enthusiast. In school language, the word here rendered chum, by sant, or in some schools, copin, expressed a fraternal sharing of the joys and evils of your childish existence a community of interests that was fruitful of squabbling and making friends again, a treaty of alliance offensive and defensive. It is strange, but never in my time did I know brothers who were chums. If man lives by his feelings, he thinks perhaps that he will make his life the poorer if he merges an affection of his own choosing in a natural tie. The impression made upon me by Father Hagolt's harangue that evening is one of the most vivid reminiscences of my childhood. I can compare it with nothing but my first reading of Robinson Crusoe. 
Indeed, I owe to my recollection of these prodigious impressions an observation that may perhaps be new as to the different sense attached to words by each hearer. The word in itself has no final meaning. We affect a word more than it affects us. Its value is in relation to the images we have assimilated and grouped round it. But a study of this fact would require considerable elaboration and lead us too far from our immediate subject. Not being able to sleep, I had a long discussion with my next neighbor in the dormitory as to the remarkable being who on the morrow was to be one of us. This neighbor, who became an officer, and now is a writer with lofty philosophical views, Barchot de Penhon, has not been false to his predestination, nor to the hazard of fortune by which the only two scholars of Vendôme, of whose fame Vendôme ever hears, were brought together in the same classroom, on the same form, and under the same roof. Our comrade Defar had not, when this book was published, made his appearance in public life as a lawyer. The translator of Fichte, the expositor and friend of Balanche, was already interested, as I myself was, in metaphysical questions. We often talked nonsense together about God, ourselves, and nature. He at that time affected Pyrrhonism. Jealous of his place as leader, he doubted Lambert's precocious gifts, while I, having lately read les enfants celebres overwhelmed him with evidence quoting young montcalm pico della mirandola pascal in short a score of early developed brains anomalies that are famous in the history of the human mind and lambert's predecessors i was at the time passionately addicted to reading my father who was ambitious to see me in the ecole polytechnique paid for me to have a special course of private lessons in mathematics my mathematical master was the librarian of the college and allowed me to help myself to books without much caring what i chose to take from the library a quiet spot where i went to him during play hours to have my lesson either he was no great mathematician or he was absorbed in some grand scheme for he very willingly left me to read when i ought to have been learning while he worked at i knew not what so by a tacit understanding between us i made no complaints of being taught nothing and he said nothing of the books I borrowed. Carried away by this ill-timed mania, I neglected my studies to compose poems, which certainly can have shown no great promise to judge by a line of too many feet which became famous among my companions, the beginning of an epic on the Incas. O Inca, O roi infortune et malero! In derision of such attempts I was nicknamed the poet, but mockery did not cure me i was always rhyming in spite of good advice from monsieur marechal the headmaster who tried to cure me of an unfortunately inveterate passion by telling me the fable of a linnet that fell out of the nest because it tried to fly before its wings were grown i persisted in my reading i became the least emulous the idlest most dreamy of all the division of little boys and consequently the most frequently punished this autobiographical digression may give some idea of the reflections i was led to make in anticipation of lambert's arrival i was then twelve years old i felt sympathy from the first for the boy whose temperament had some points of likeness to my own i was at last to have a companion in daydreams and meditations though i knew not yet what glory meant i thought it glory to be the familiar friend of a child whose immortality was foreseen by madame de stael to me louis lambert was as a giant the looked-for morrow came at last a minute before breakfast we heard the steps of monsieur marechal and of the new boy in the quiet courtyard 
Every head was turned at once to the door of the classroom. Father Hogolt, who participated in our torments of curiosity, did not sound the whistle he used to reduce our mutterings to silence and bring us back to our tasks. We then saw this famous new boy, whom Monsieur Maréchal was leading by the hand. The superintendent descended from his desk, and the headmaster said to him solemnly, according to etiquette, monsieur i have brought you monsieur louis lambert will you place him in the fourth class he will begin work to-morrow then after speaking a few words in an undertone to the classmaster he said where can he sit it would have been unfair to displace one of us for a newcomer so as there was but one desk vacant louis lambert came to fill it next to me for i had last joined the class though we still had some time to wait before lessons were over we all stood up to look at louis lambert monsieur marechal heard our muttering saw how eager we were and said with the kindness that endeared him to us all well well but make no noise do not disturb the other classes these words set us free to play some little time before breakfast and we all gathered round lambert while monsieur marechal walked up and down the courtyard with father Hagot. There were about eighty of us little demons, as bold as birds of prey. Though we ourselves had all gone through this cruel novitiate, we showed no mercy on a newcomer, never sparing him the mockery, the catechism, the impertinence, which were inexhaustible on such occasions, to the discomfiture of the neophyte, whose manners, strength, and temper were thus tested. Lambert, whether he was stoical or dumbfounded, made no reply to any questions, one of us thereupon remarked that he was no doubt of the school of pythagoras and there was a shout of laughter the new boy was thenceforth pythagoras through all his life at the college at the same time lambert's piercing eye the scorn expressed in his face for our childishness so far removed from the stamp of his own nature the easy attitude he assumed and his evident strength in proportion to his years infused a certain respect into the various scamps among us for my part, I kept near him, absorbed in studying him in silence. Louis Lambert was slightly built, nearly five feet in height. His face was tanned, and his hands were burnt brown by the sun, giving him an appearance of manly vigor, which in fact he did not possess. Indeed, two months after he came to the college, when studying in the classroom had faded his vivid, so to speak, vegetable coloring, he became as pale and white as a woman. His head was unusually large his hair of a fine bright black in masses of curls gave wonderful beauty to his brow of which the proportions were extraordinary even to us heedless boys knowing nothing as may be supposed of the auguries of phrenology a science still in its cradle the distinction of this prophetic brow lay principally in the exquisitely chiselled shape of the arches under which his black eyes sparkled and which had the transparency of alabaster the line having the unusual beauty of being perfectly level to where it met the top of the nose but when you saw his eyes it was difficult to think of the rest of his face which was indeed plain enough for their look was full of a wonderful variety of expression they seemed to have a soul in their depths at one moment astonishingly clear and piercing at another full of heavenly sweetness those eyes became dull almost colourless as it seemed when he was lost in meditation they then looked like a window from which the sun had suddenly vanished after lighting it up his strength and his voice were no less variable equally rigid equally unexpected his tone could be as sweet as that of a woman compelled to own her love at other times it was laboured rough rugged if i may use such words in a new sense 
as to his strength he was habitually incapable of enduring the fatigue of any game and seemed weakly almost infirm but during the early days of his school life one of our little bullies having made game of his sickliness which rendered him unfit for the violent exercise in vogue among his fellows lambert took hold with both hands of one of the class tables consisting of twelve large desks face to face sloping from the middle he leaned back against the class-master's desk steadying the table with his feet on the crossbar below and said now ten of you try to move it i was present and can vouch for this strange display of strength it was impossible to move the table lambert had the gift of summoning to his aid at certain times the most extraordinary powers and of concentrating all his forces on a given point but children like men are wont to judge of everything by first impressions and after the first few days we ceased to study louis he entirely belied madame de stael's prognostications and displayed none of the prodigies we looked for in him after three months at school louis was looked upon as a quite ordinary scholar i alone was allowed really to know that sublime why should i not say divine soul for what is nearer to god than genius in the heart of a child the similarity of our tastes and ideas made us friends and chums our intimacy was so brotherly that our schoolfellows joined our two names one was never spoken without the other and to call either they always shouted poet and pythagoras some of the other names had been known coupled in a like manner thus for two years i was the school friend of poor louis lambert and during that time my life was so identified with his that i am enabled now to write his intellectual biography it was long before i fully knew the poetry and the wealth of ideas that lay hidden in my companion's heart and brain it was not till i was thirty years of age till my experience was matured and condensed till the flash of an intense illumination had thrown a fresh light upon it that i was capable of understanding all the bearings of the phenomena which i witnessed at that early time i benefited by them without understanding their greatness or their processes indeed i have forgotten some or remember only the most conspicuous facts still my memory is now able to coordinate them and i have mastered the secrets of that fertile brain by looking back to the delightful days of our boyish affection so it was time alone that initiated me into the meaning of the events and facts that were crowded into that obscure life as into that of many another man who is lost to science indeed this narrative so far as the expression and appreciation of many things is concerned will be found full of what may be termed moral anachronisms which perhaps will not detract from its peculiar interest in the course of the first few months after coming to vendome louis became the victim of a malady which though the symptoms were invisible to the eye of our superiors considerably interfered with the exercise of his remarkable gifts accustomed to live in the open air and to the freedom of a purely haphazard education happy in the tender care of an old man who was devoted to him used to meditating in the sunshine he found it very hard to submit to college rules to walk in the ranks to live within the four walls of a room where eighty boys were sitting in silence on wooden forms each in front of his desk his senses were developed to such perfection as to give them the most sensitive keenness and every part of him suffered from this life in common the effluvia that vitiated the air mingled with the odors of a classroom that was never clean 
nor free from the fragments of our breakfasts or snacks affected his sense of smell the sense which being more immediately connected than the others with the nerve centres of the brain must when shocked cause invisible disturbance to the organs of thought besides these elements of impurity in the atmosphere there were lockers in the classrooms in which the boys kept their miscellaneous plunder pigeons killed for fate days or tidbits filched from the dinner-table in each classroom too there was a large stone slab on which two pails full of water were kept standing a sort of sink where we every morning washed our faces and hands one after another in the master's presence we then passed on to a table where women combed and powdered our hair thus the place being cleaned but once a day before we were up was always more or less dirty in spite of numerous windows and lofty doors the air was constantly fouled by the smells from the washing-place the hairdressing the lockers and the thousand messes made by the boys to say nothing of their eighty closely packed bodies and this sort of humus mingling with the mud we brought in from the playing-yard produced a suffocatingly pestilent muck-heap the loss of the fresh and fragrant country air in which he had hitherto lived the change of habits and strict discipline combined to depress lambert with his elbow on his desk and his head supported on his left hand he spent the hours of study gazing at the trees in the court or the clouds in the sky he seemed to be thinking of his lessons but the master seeing his pen motionless or the sheet before him still a blank would call out lambert you are doing nothing this you are doing nothing was a pin-thrust that wounded louis to the quick and then he never earned the rest of the playtime he always had impositions to write the imposition a punishment which varies according to the practice of different schools consisted at vendome of a certain number of lines to be written out in play hours lambert and i were so overpowered with impositions that we had not six free days during the two years of our school friendship but for the books we took out of the library which maintained some vitality in our brains this system of discipline would have reduced us to idiocy want of exercise is fatal to children the habit of preserving a dignified appearance begun in tender infancy has it is said a visible effect on the constitution of royal personages when the faults of such an education are not counteracted by the life of the battlefield or the laborious sport of hunting and if the laws of etiquette and court manners can act on the spinal marrow to such an extent as to affect the pelvis of kings to soften their cerebral tissue and so degenerate the race what deep-seated mischief physical and moral must result in schoolboys from the constant lack of air exercise and cheerfulness indeed the rules of punishment carried out in schools deserve the attention of the office of public instruction when any thinkers are to be found there who do not think exclusively of themselves we incurred the infliction of an imposition in a thousand ways our memory was so good that we never learned to lessen it was enough for either of us to hear our class-fellows repeat the task in french latin or grammar and we could say it when our turn came but if the master unfortunately took it into his head to reverse the usual order and call upon us first we very often did not even know what the lesson was then the imposition fell in spite of our most ingenious excuses then we always put off writing for our exercises till the last moment if there were a book to be finished or if we were lost in thought the task was forgotten again an imposition how often have we scribbled an exercise during the time when the head-boy whose business it was to collect them when we came to school was gathering them from the others 
in addition to the moral misery which lambert went through in trying to acclimatize himself to college life there was a scarcely less cruel apprenticeship through which every boy had to pass to those bodily sufferings which seemed infinitely varied the tenderness of a child's skin needs extreme care especially in winter when a schoolboy is constantly exchanging the frozen air of the muddy playing-yard for the stuffy atmosphere of the classroom the little boys and the smallest of all for lack of a mother's care were martyrs to chilblains and chaps so severe that they had to be regularly dressed during the breakfast hour but this could only be very indifferently done to so many damaged hands toes and heels a good many of the boys indeed were obliged to prefer the evil to the remedy the choice constantly lay between their lessons waiting to be finished or the joys of a slide and waiting for a bandage carelessly put on and still more carelessly cast off again also it was the fashion in the school to jibe at the poor feeble creatures who went to be doctored the bullies vied with each other in snatching off the rags which the infirmary nurse had tied on hence in winter many of us with half-dead feet and fingers sick with pain were incapable of work and punished for not working the fathers too often deluded by shammed ailments would not believe in real suffering the price paid for our schooling and board also covered the cost of clothing the committee contracted for the shoes and clothes supplied to the boys hence the weekly inspection of which i have spoken this plan although admirable for the manager is always disastrous to the managed woe to the boy who indulged in the bad habit of treading his shoes down at heel of cracking the shoe leather or wearing out the soles too fast whether from a defect in his gait or by fidgeting during lessons in obedience to the instinctive need of movement common to all children that boy did not get through the winter without great suffering in the first place his chilblains would ache and shot as badly as a fit of the gout then the rivets and pack thread intended to repair the shoes would give way or the broken heels would prevent the wretched shoes from keeping on his feet he was obliged to drag them wearily along the frozen roads or sometimes to dispute their possession with the clay soil of the district the water and snow got in through some unnoticed crack or ill-sown patch and the foot would swell out of sixty boys not ten perhaps could walk without some special form of torture and yet they all kept up with the body of the troop dragged on by the general movement as men are driven through life by life itself many a time some proud-tempered boy would shed tears of rage while summoning his remaining energy to run ahead and get home again in spite of pain so sensitively afraid of laughter or of pity two forms of scorn is the still tender soul at that age at school as in social life the strong despise the feeble without knowing in what true strength consists nor was this all no gloves if by good hap a boy's parents the infirmary nurse or the headmaster gave gloves to a particularly delicate lad the wags or the big boys of the class would put them on the stove amused to see them dry and shrivel or if the gloves escaped the marauders after getting wet they shrunk as they dried for want of care no gloves were impossible gloves were a privilege and boys insist on equality louis lambert fell a victim to all these varieties of torment like many contemplative men who when lost in thought acquire a habit of mechanical motion he had a mania for fidgeting with his shoes and destroyed them very quickly his girlish complexion the skin of his ears and lips cracked with the least cold his soft white hands grew red and swollen he had perpetual colds thus he was a constant sufferer till he became inured to school life 
taught at last by cruel experience he was obliged to look after his things to use the school phrase he was forced to take care of his locker his desk his clothes his shoes to protect his ink his books his copy-paper and his pens from pilferers in short to give his mind to the thousand details of our trivial life to which more selfish and commonplace minds devoted such strict attention thus infallibly securing prizes for proficiency and good conduct while they were overlooked by a boy of the highest promise who under the hand of an almost divine imagination gave himself up with rapture to the flow of his ideas this was not all there is a perpetual struggle going on between the masters and the boys a struggle without truce to be compared with nothing else in the social world unless it be the resistance of the opposition to the ministry in a representative government but journalists and opposition speakers are probably less prompt to take advantage of a weak point less extreme in resenting an injury and less merciless in their mockery than boys are in regard to those who rule over them it is a task to put angels out of patience an unhappy class-master must then not be too severely blamed ill-paid as he is and consequently not too competent if he is occasionally unjust or out of temper perpetually watched by a hundred mocking eyes and surrounded with snares he sometimes revenges himself for his own blunders on the boys who are only too ready to detect them unless for serious misdemeanors for which there were other forms of punishment the strap was regarded at vendome as the ultima ratio patrum exercises forgotten lessons ill-learned common ill-behaviour were sufficiently punished by an imposition but offended dignity spoke in the master through the strap of all the physical torments to which we were exposed certainly the most acute was that inflicted by this leathern instrument about two fingers wide applied to our poor little hands with all the strength and all the fury of the administrator to endure this classical form of correction the victim knelt in the middle of the room he had to leave his form and go kneel down near the master's desk under the curious and generally merciless eyes of his fellows to sensitive natures these preliminaries were an introductory torture like the journey from the palais de justice to the place de grève which the condemned used to make to the scaffold some boys cried out and shed bitter tears before or after the application of the strap others accepted the infliction with stoic calm it was a question of nature but few could control an expression of anguish in anticipation louis lambert was constantly enduring the strap and owed it to a peculiarity of his physiognomy of which he was for a long time quite unconscious whenever he was suddenly roused from a fit of abstraction by the master's cry you are doing nothing it often happened that without knowing it he flashed at his teacher a look full of fierce contempt and charged with thought as a leyden jar is charged with electricity this look no doubt discomfited the master who indignant at this unspoken retort wished to cure his scholar of that thunderous flash the first time the father took offence at this ray of scorn which struck him like a lightning flash he made this speech as i well remember if you look at me again in that way lambert you will get the strap at these words every nose was in the air every eye looked alternately at the master and at louis the observation was so utterly foolish that the boy again looked at the father overwhelming him with another flash from this arose a standing feud between lambert and his master resulting in a certain amount of strap thus did he first discover the power of his eye 
the hapless poet so full of nerves as sensitive as a woman under the sway of chronic melancholy and as sick with genius as a girl with love that she pines for knowing nothing of it this boy at once so powerful and so weak transplanted by corinne from the country he loved to be squeezed in the mould of a collegiate routine to which every spirit and every body must yield whatever their range or temperament accepting its rule in its uniform as gold is crushed into round coin under the press louis lambert suffered in every spot where pain can touch the soul or the flesh stuck in a form restricted to the acreage of his desk a victim of the strap and to a sickly frame tortured in every sense environed by distress everything compelled him to give his body up to the myriad tyrannies of school life and like the martyrs who smiled in the midst of suffering he took refuge in heaven which lay open to his mind perhaps this life of purely inward emotions helped him to see something of the mysteries he so entirely believed in our independence our illicit amusements our apparent waste of time our persistent indifference our frequent punishments and aversion for our exercises and impositions earned us a reputation which no one cared to controvert for being an idle and incorrigible pair our masters treated us with contempt and we fell into utter disgrace with our companions from whom we concealed our secret studies for fear of being laughed at this hard judgment which was injustice in the masters was but natural in our schoolfellows we could neither play ball nor run races nor walk on stilts on exceptional holidays when amnesty was proclaimed and we got a few hours of freedom we shared in none of the popular diversions of the school aliens from the pleasures enjoyed by the others we were outcasts sitting forlorn under a tree in the playground the poet and pythagoras formed an exception and led a life apart from the life of the rest the penetrating instinct and unerring conceit of schoolboys made them feel that we were of a nature either far above or far beneath their own hence some simply hated our aristocratic reserve others merely scorned our ineptitude these feelings were equally shared by us without our knowing it perhaps i have but now divined them we lived exactly like two rats huddled into the corner of the room where our desks were sitting there alike during lesson time and play hours this strange state of affairs inevitably and in fact placed us on a footing of war with all the other boys in our division forgotten for the most part we sat there very contentedly half happy like two plants two images who would have been missed from the furniture of the room but the most aggressive of our schoolfellows would sometimes torment us just to show their malignant power and we responded with stolid contempt which brought many a thrashing down on the poet and pythagoras lambert's homesickness lasted for many months i know no words to describe the dejection to which he was a prey louis has taken the glory off many a masterpiece for me we had both played the part of the leper of aosta and had both experienced the feelings described in monsieur de maistre's story before we read them as expressed by his eloquent pen a book may indeed revive the memories of our childhood but it can never compete with them successfully lambert's woes had taught me many a chant of sorrow far more appealing than the finest passages in werther and indeed there is no possible comparison between the pangs of a passion condemned whether rightly or wrongly by every law and the grief of a poor child pining for the glorious sunshine the dews of the valley and liberty werther is the slave of desire louis lambert was an enslaved soul 
given equal talent the more pathetic sorrow founded on desires which being purer are the more genuine must transcend the wail even of genius after sitting for a long time with his eyes fixed on a lime tree in the playground louis would say just a word but that word would reveal an infinite speculation happily for me he exclaimed one day there are hours of comfort when i feel as though the walls of the room had fallen and i were away away in the fields what a pleasure it is to let oneself go on the stream of one's thoughts as a bird is borne up on its wings why is green a color so largely diffused through creation he would ask me why are there so few straight lines in nature why is it that man in his structures rarely introduces curves why is it that he alone of all creatures has a sense of straightness these queries revealed long excursions in space he had i am sure seen vast landscapes fragrant with the scent of woods he was always silent and resigned a living elegy always suffering but unable to complain of suffering an eagle that needed the world to feed him shut in between four narrow dirty walls and thus this life became an ideal life in the strictest meaning of the words filled as he was with the contempt of the almost useless studies to which we were harnessed louis went on his skyward way absolutely unconscious of the things about us i obeying the imitative instinct that is so strong in childhood tried to regulate my life in conformity with his and louis the more easily infected me with the sort of torpor in which deep contemplation leaves the body because i was younger and more impressionable than he like two lovers we got into the habit of thinking together in a common reverie his intuitions had already acquired that acuteness which must surely characterize the intellectual perceptiveness of great poets and often bring them to the verge of madness do you ever feel said he to me one day as though imagined suffering affected you in spite of yourself if for instance i think with concentration of the effect that the blade of my penknife would have in piercing my flesh i feel an acute pain as if i had really cut myself only the blood is wanting but the pain comes suddenly and startles me like a sharp noise breaking profound silence can an idea cause physical pain what do you say to that eh when he gave utterance to such subtle reflections we both fell into artless meditation we set to work to detect in ourselves the inscrutable phenomena of the origin of thoughts which lambert hoped to discover in their earliest germ so as to describe some day the unknown process then after much discussion often mixed up with childish notions a look would flash from lambert's eager eyes he would grasp my hand and a word from the depths of his soul would show the current of his mind thinking is seeing said he one day carried away by some objection raised as to the first principles of our organization every human science is based on education which is a slow process of seeing by which we work up from the effect to the cause or in a wider sense all poetry like every work of art proceeds from a swift vision of things he was a spiritualist as opposed to materialism but i would venture to contradict him using his own arguments to consider the intellect as a purely physical phenomenon we both were right perhaps the words materialism and spiritualism express the two faces of the same fact his considerations on the substance of the mind led to his accepting with a certain pride the life of privation to which we were condemned in consequence of our idleness and our indifference to learning he had a certain consciousness of his own powers which bore him up through his spiritual cogitations how delightful it was to me to feel his soul acting on my own 
many a time have we remained sitting on our form both buried in one book having quite forgotten each other's existence and yet not apart each conscious of the other's presence and bathing in an ocean of thought like two fish swimming in the same waters our life apparently was merely vegetating but we lived through our heart and brain lambert's influence over my imagination left traces that still abide i used to listen hungrily to his tales full of the marvels which make men as well as children rapturously devour stories in which truth assumes the most grotesque forms his passion for mystery and the credulity natural to the young often led us to discuss heaven and hell then louis by expounding swedenborg would try to make me share in his beliefs concerning angels in his least logical arguments there were still amazing observations as to the powers of man which gave his words that color of truth without which nothing can be done in any art the romantic end he foresaw as a destiny of man was calculated to flatter the yearning which tempts blameless imaginations to give themselves up to beliefs is it not during the youth of a nation that its dogmas and idols are conceived and are not the supernatural beings before whom the people tremble the personification of their feelings and their magnified desires End of section one of Louis Lambert by Henri de Balzac, translated by Clara Bell and James Waring. Read by Don W. Jenkins, Rancho San Diego, California, shaggybark.blogspot.com.